0: Hello everybody, and welcome to minute one hundred nineteen of season five, Move Rob Minute, the daily podcast, where we yippee our way through the nineteen ninety Bruce Willis action flick, Die Hard two, Die Harder, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today is Matthew Simpson of Awesome Friday. Welcome back to the show this season,
1: Matthew. Uh, well, thank you, thank you for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, yeah. You want you want first maybe tell people your background with Die Hard 2? Like what is what is your background with this movie?
1: Uh so my background with Die Hard 2 is that for a long time I didn't think it was a great movie. <laughs> um uh, I'm a big fan of Die Hard. I'm a huge fan of Die Hard 3, which is my favorite of the five films. Um but there, there are five films. I've come to, I don't, I only think there's three, well, but only only <laughs> only only technically only right, technically exactly it's um, it's
0: it's a trilogy with another movie that's okay and another terrible uh movie that I have no idea how I'm going to deal
1: with when I get to but whatever <laughs> I have a few seasons till I get to yeah I mean my hot take is that Die Hard 4 is a good movie but a bad Die Hard movie but it's other like I don't think it fits in the in the franchise but it's fine and the fifth one is bad right. um but no, in Die Hard 2, um, in the last couple of years especially, I've had a real like resurgence in my appreciation for the cinematic excesses of Rennie Harlan. And uh, I've come to appreciate it quite a bit, actually. I still don't think it's the best in the franchise, but I I appreciate it for being the kind of like fun, kind of dumb action movie that it is. Okay. that That works.
0: That
1: works. And do you, do you remember the first time you saw it uh not specifically but I am 100% sure that it was on TV in the mid to the late 90s. Um when I was a kid we so it's kind of weird in Canada you can't have we we couldn't get like HBO um because of broadcast rights uh it, you can't you couldn't receive it in Canada. Um but. We had a ten-foot satellite dish and an American PO box, so we did get HBO. So I'm I'm 99% sure that I watched it on HBO in about 1996 mm-hmm. uh, at home, and uh, remember thinking like, "Wow, this is." I think it was probably on. It was either that or it was on TBS. It was, and it was almost certainly a um, like a marathon of the first of the first two, like back to back, and me and remember. I remember distinctly. Remember thinking, just like, "Oh, this is this is not as good as the first one." (laughs) I understand that. I understand. I mean, I
0: personally love this movie, uh, but I think it has to do with the fact that it is one of two movies in in my life that I saw back to back. You know, uh, in the theater, Uh, I saw this on the night before it came out, and then the first showing of the day it came out. Like I had a special. So it came out on July fourth, nineteen ninety. So on July 3rd, uh, mm-hmm. I, I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. You know, it's, it's been a few weeks since I told the story. So, you know, maybe maybe people uh, have forgotten <laughs> it. <laughs> so on July 3rd, 1990, um, I got tickets to a special engagement to to go see it, uh, even though it was it was debuting the following day. And I loved it. I it was probably like a 8, 9 o'clock at uh, night uh, showing. And then I had already made plans the week before that on opening day I would go with a friend of mine at 11.30 in the morning to go see it. So I was like, what the hell? I enjoyed it. So I went back the following morning and saw it again. So it's one of two movies that I've done that for. The other one was Jurassic Park. So Nice. Yeah. So Most so recently
1: I've... I did that with... Most recently I did that with the movie Interstellar, um, which... Didn't work out because I actually didn't like it the first two times I saw it. But I saw it at like ten o'clock at night on one day, and then at like five in the afternoon the second. day.
0: Okay, I mean, if ten years ago is considered recently, then yes, that that, that works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, Interstellar. Interstellar was a movie that I saw the first uh, on the first showing also, you know, when it when it came out. So yeah, I I remember that. I remember seeing that. Uh, I I think it's a great movie, but it was it was very very heavy. And I, I don't think I would have gone to go see it again in the theater of the phone in the morning. You know, that, that probably not. I enjoyed wow. it a lot and I enjoyed it every time I see it, but it's not a movie that I can watch often. There, there are better Nolan movies. I mean, I had the same, same issue with Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer is, I, you know, is a great movie, but it's just really, really heavy. And you, 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 you yeah. want something, you want something that's going to flow a lot better. If you're going to want to keep rewatching it over and over that type of thing.
1: So so my my like opening night next day story with Interstellar is that I had made plans to see it, uh, came out on a Friday. I had made plans to see it on a Saturday with a bunch of friends. And then um, I was messaging this girl on a dating service at the time, and we were like, we went out and had our, our first date, and we're like, let's see dinner and a movie, and which movie do you want to see? Oh, I don't know, we'll decide when we get there. So we went and had dinner at this pizza place right near the main theater in town, and then it was like 9 o'clock at night, and she was like, do you want to see Interstellar? And I'm like, do you want to see Interstellar? Because I'm seeing it tomorrow, but it's a Nolan film, so if you want to see it, I'll go see it. And she was like, yeah, let's see Interstellar. So we went and did that, and I really didn't like it. Um, <laughs> but, and the second time, I liked it a little bit more. I've come to appreciate it in later viewings, but I did—I really didn't. The sound mix was weird, but, um, and I found it to be a little bit too cold. Um but the moral it turns a good story though because of the that girl that I went out with later became my wife.
0: So we oh, okay. so worked uh, it's, out well. It's still, a, it's still a win. There you go. And and does that mean that every year on your anniversary you guys didn't watch Interstellar?
1: No, but um for those of you who are un Unfamiliar with the movie, we did for a long time. We don't do it as much anymore, but occasionally we'll text each other something really sarcastic or dry, and then follow it up with the the traffic light emoji as like a key light to indicate we're joking. Uh, I, I don't which get the a, reference. Which is a recurring bit from the movie. From what, what movie? was uh, a recurring bit in the movie where the from uh, from Interstellar, there's a oh, the robot Tars who has like a humor setting. Right. Okay. Um, and it, at one at one point he indicates he can turn on a key light on his on his. Uh, panel, if he to indicate he's joking, if they don't get the joke, so we do that to each other. Okay, all right, that,
0: that's cool. That that's a, a nice little tidbit. All right, so minute yeah. one nineteen also, also very much like Die Hard too, of course, completely. <laughs> <laughs> so minute one nineteen begins with uh, the finishing of of the uh, of the the full cast credits. We have uh, the the name of Don Harvey and ends with uh, legalese filling the screen. So yesterday mm-hmm. we basically ended things. We, we, you know, we, we had the, the first section of the credits where we had the, the names of all the stars. And then, you know, the, yesterday's minute till today's minute, we drag on uh, the credit for Don Harvey, who we we've talked about numerous times over the course of this entire uh, podcast. Uh, I, I, I actually like him as Garber. I think he's a, a, I think he plays the character really well. Um, I, I don't know if his star was that bright back in 1990 that he really should have you know been uh, listed with the top cast, but uh, hey, why not?
1: Good for him.: <laughs> I mean, yeah, power to him. It must have been one of his earlier roles where he was in the top cast, right? Like...
0: Uh, yeah yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And. and yeah, then, it's a fun, fun presence in the film.
0: Yeah, yeah. Fun, fun presence until he gets shot. And we don't get to really, yeah. you have to pay attention to know that he gets shot because he's wearing a mask, you know? So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was, he was either the first or second guy to get killed on the, this, on the snowmobile. Uh, my assumption is, is that he's the second one, but you know, we, we we'll never know because one of them is him. And one of them is uh, John Leguizamo. So I think John Leguizamo is the one who ends up in the, the lake and he's the one who just gets shot uh, sitting on his snowmobile. So, but again, uh, there's no way of knowing. because right. I remember, cause I remember they, distinctly. No, because even in the script, it, in the script, only one gets killed there. So only Garber gets killed. So he could have been either.
1: Oh, yeah, so, I was, yeah. that's fair. But, but I was going to say, I, I do remember distinctly watching this film this time it's something I probably, I honestly probably realize for the first time every time I watch it. But like this movie's kind of like a who's who of like people who are famous now. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Come on, yeah. you got Robert Patrick, you got John Leguizamo.
0: Um, uh, one, Andy Curtis Hall. Yes, that's right. Um, and one one of my my favorites is actually one of the guys who who survives. Uh, or, or he doesn't survive. He survives until until the airplane again. But uh, I loved uh, seeing Tom Verica in this movie. Uh, Mark Boone Jr., who I never yep. knew was in this movie until yep. until doing it this time, doing it minute by minute. You know, I just never never paid attention to it, and then seeing him in this movie is just mind blowing because he looks so different from what we're used to seeing him in. You know, in anything that he's done since. You know, whether you're talking about Memento or yeah, if you're talking in about
1: recently, yeah,
0: that's right. Where you know he's got the you know the the big beard and the the big hair and all that stuff. In this movie, not at all.
1: <laughs> but you can tell it yeah, him. None he's, of it. Yeah, you know. that's right. And uh and I always noticed that uh I mean this is a great sort of time period for Robert Patrick because I think uh, Terminator Two came out what the next year yes. maybe the year after. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's such he's such a baby in this one. He looks like he's about eighteen. I know he's not, but he looks so young. And and I love that he plays a guy named O'Reilly, because he does not look like
0: an O'Reilly for some reason. I don't know why. No. <laughs> I mean he has played other Irish characters over the I mean, years, but he, you just know, you wouldn't you don't think of him as an O'Reilly. You know, he's uh I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't really matter from that perspective. Yeah, either. I think
1: he doesn't he doesn't really he doesn't really look Irish unless he has a mustache. There you go. And then he does for some reason.
0: That's true. So, yeah.
1: Good point. All right. So, yeah. So
0: we, <laughs> <laughs> so, so we had the uh, credit for, for Don Harvey that, that, that leaves the screen. And then we get, based on the novel, 58 Minutes by Walter Wager. Now, ha- have you ever read the, the, the novel this is based on? I have not. No. Okay. I, I read it 30, 33 years ago. I, I I never got around to reading it for, for,
1: for this. I was going to say, I actually didn't really realize. I don't know why, because they're all based on novels or, or other stories. But for some reason, I didn't put it in my head. In my head, I always forget that it's even based on anything. Right. Um, well, you I know, don't, that, I don't know why.
0: You, you remember what the first one's based on, right? Well, we'll actually, we'll get there in a second, because uh, that's going to be the next credit. Afterwards. So Walter Wager was a novelist who was born in 1924 and passed away in 2004 most famous novel i guess you could say because it was made into a diehard movie you know i, re- I read the read the, the novel mm-hmm. 33 years ago so it's 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 a basic. it's the same basic idea where terrorists take over in, 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 take take over JFK and there's a, a in you know a, i think it's either a retired cop or an off duty cop that needs to save his daughter who's on one of the planes and her plane is supposed to land in 58 minutes. That's the whole thing. I don't think it has, you know, the, the whole drug lord aspect of it and stuff like that. I, I don't remember that. Anyone out there who has recently read, read the novel might, might be able to, to correct me on that, but uh, yeah. And then the, the next credit is basically the author of the original novel that, that Die Hard, the first movie, was, uh, was based on. So it, it, and it says certain original characters by Roderick Thorpe. So I, I I love the way that it says it that way. Now, first of all, it also misspells his name because they add an e here because Roderick Thorpe is T H O R P on all of his uh, books. Yeah. <laughs> so you know they, they they sort of got that wrong here.
1: No, <laughs> I didn't. Didn't didn't realize that, but I do know that they they credit him on all the subsequent films as certain original characters. By that's right, and you're right. I do love that phrasing as well. Correct, because it's it's, it's sort of like I don't think I've ever seen it phrased that way before. It's always like original characters or based or on based characters, on exactly. original characters. That's, that's right. right. You know, and and yeah. and come but on, how cer- many certain original characters I means that like. What, like like these these three specifically i guess
0: <laughs> and it's not even it, it that's the thing uh that the the names are different you know in in the original book the, there there's no um uh th- there's no John McClane his name is Joe Leland okay so the only yeah. the only character that basically carries it over into this movie from the first movie that uses the same name is Al Powell that's it which is funny why it says certain original hmm. characters, you know, because John McClane hasn't. Holly Gennaro, the his daughter, was his name was Stephanie Gennaro in the in the original book, so that also doesn't. Maybe the name Gennaro? I don't know. And and I mean even even Hans maybe. Hans Hans Gruber wasn't the name of the the bad guy in in the original novel. It was uh, Tony, uh, I think his name was Tony Gruber or something like that, you
1: know. So I
0: don't
1: know. That's <laughs> so weird. I'm sh- I'm sure there's some Writers Guild like shenanigans going on to make it make it that way.
0: Yeah, whatever. I mean, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> you know, I mean, Roderick Thork was was still alive at this point, so he was probably still getting uh, residuals from it. You know, he had he was born in 1936 and he passed away in 1999 at the age of 62 from a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And besides Die Hard, he has I think one other. Uh, well, he has the original Joe Leland novel. The detective uh, is credited to him, obviously. You know the one that Frank Sinatra played uh, uh, the Bruce Willis character. Uh, if if you weren't mm-hmm. aware of that, and then, it, and then and then you have this one, th- and then he has a a, a a book called I think Rainbow Drive. That that, that yeah, he wrote. I think
1: there's two TV movies. That's
0: there's right. Rainbow Drive and another one. Devlin. Which I I haven't seen either of them. I, I am actually in, intrigued to see what what they are, to see if the you know if they're any good. They're probably not, but uh, you know at some point maybe I'll uh, I'll take a look,
1: <laughs> see what those are about. I'm just looking on, just looking on IMDb right now, and it feels like maybe he was capitalizing because Die Hard came out in '88, and Die Hard Two came out in 1990, 90. and uh and Devlin and Rainbow Drive both came out in nineteen ninety. No, Rainbow Drive was nineteen 90, 90 and ninety two. That's right. Yeah, nineteen ninety two. So like, I feel like maybe, like he was capitalizing on whatever moment he had.
0: Right. But uh, basically, he, you know, the, those two movies on IMDb at least have a five point rating, five point something, five point one or five point five, and uh, Die Hard actually has the the. Um, most of the die hard movies all have like sevens like the original die hard is an 8.2 die hard 2 is a 7.1 uh, die hard with avengers is a 7.6 live free die hard has a 7.1 and obviously that that fifth one has has a 5.2 which means that devlin has a higher rating than a good day to die hard so maybe maybe it is worth seeing
1: i don't know that's honestly the <laughs> It's honestly the least shocking thing you're gonna say all all day, I think. <laughs> no, but the shocking thing is, is that, Devlin, that it's close. Least, I'm just looking at the. I,
0: I'm, I'm wondering why I heard uh, Good Day to I heard has a five. You know, I would I would say it should be even lower than that. Yeah. That's my point.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just looking at the the cast list for Devlin. It can't it can't be all bad. It's Brian Brown and Lloyd Bridges, and. Even the other one, uh, Rainbow Drive, is Peter Weller, and it's got David Caruso and Celia Ward. Like, right. there's some, there's some good names in this, thing, in these things. So, I imagine they're pretty forgettable '90s TV movies, but there's probably something there.
0: Yeah, I, I'll definitely get a, seek them out and and check them out, and see what see what they're all about. <laughs> right. So then the, <laughs> the 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 credits continue. Uh, we're obviously not going to go through every single one of the credits. But, uh, you know, first we have the the co-producer, uh, Steve Perry, who has on uh, IMDb 23 producer credits, 21 assistant uh, uh, director credits, and four, 14 production manager credits. So I just thought that was a, a little, you know, a, it, it's very prolific, but it's also, you know, scattered around. It, it shows the way that things work in Hollywood, that you got to, you know work your way up in the, in the business even even when you're you're yeah, you, I got you, hustle that's right. even when you're below the line uh you know type of stuff then then we have uh, two executive producers Lloyd Levin and Michael Levy and what i found really interesting is that uh, Lloyd Levin has thirty thirty five 35 credits as a producer uh one of them actually being united 93 which is a a a favorite of mine and Michael Levy was only has eight credits as a producer in all of uh, in, in IMDb. But it just goes to show that, that, that he really was working the whole time with, uh, with, with Joel Silver. Cause if you look at the movies, he was on this movie, he's a producer. He's an executive producer. He's a predator to Ricochet, mm-hmm. uh Ford Fairlane, which is, you know, the movie that, that, uh, Rennie Harland was working on at the same time he was doing this. Lara, Lara Croft, The Last Boy Scout, and Demolition Man. So, you know, he's got some nice uh, stuff there. Makes make you wonder what happened to him after Yeah, that. it's actually not a bad cross-section of movies. That's right. Um, then we actually get to the, the highlight of this minute, the music by Michael Kamen, who I was shocked at yeah. the number of credits he has on IMDb. I mean, I've always loved Michael Kamen's music. Um, but he has 84 credits in the music department, 97 credits as composer, and 126 soundtrack uh credits. I mean, that, that's that's close to 300. Yeah, he's, I mean, that's just amazing. Yeah, he's a actually, it's over three hundred dude for sure. I think it's over 300 if I if if I do my math correctly. That's just crazy. Wow um I mean, I, I've always loved him. Do, do you have any favorite Michael Kamen uh, uh, songs,
1: or not songs, uh, compositions that you like? Oh, that's a good question. There's so many. Um, I think, I don't think, I was going to say Band of Brothers, but I don't know that he composed it. I know that he was the, the uh, um, conductor on that one. No, like it, actual, as far as I know,
0: it is his. Uh, re-
1: recording? As far as I know, it is his
0: yeah um, band of brothers is one of my favorites uh from the earth to the moon is also amazing yeah you know, to go go along with the whole time yeah, yeah. uh... i'm
1: actually a i'm actually a big fan of um event horizon okay <laughs> uh which is uh i don't know that it's a good movie but if you like hellraiser and you like space then you'll enjoy that movie um but it's got some pretty great music as well
0: right i i love the music he did uh... in the, the three musketeers you know the Disney version from 1993. Yep. Uh, yeah, Robin Hood, Prince of Robin Thieves. Robin Prince as of well. Thieves. A shout, out, shout out, shout to, to our good friend, uh, friend of the show, Travis Bowe, who's doing a minute of thieves uh, as as we speak. You can probably go uh, download a good chunk of of those. So you can check those out.
1: That'd be a good one, Minute of Thieves. You said? Yes. Uh, let's just uh, let him know that I'm going to be subscribing to that show immediately. Well, he he will hear that when uh, he's listening stupid. to it. So there you go. <laughs> Yeah, so Michael
0: Kamen. Michael Kamen was born in 1948 and passed away in 2003 uh, at the age of 55 uh, out of a heart attack, which, again, it's just amazing that he has 307 credits on IMDb and was able to do so much work, uh, you know, in such a short, short life of just 55 years.
1: So that's just amazing. Yeah. Incredibly, just incredibly prolific. Yes. Very talented. I think, um, if memory serves, he was the orchestrator and composer behind Metallica's S&M, S&M album, too, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Uh, it could be. Where I'm, they I'm not... set all of their... all. Yeah, if you haven't listened to it, it's it's great. But uh, S&M is the, the album where Metallica basically sang. It's like a Greatest Hits album, but with a full symphony orchestra behind them. It's, it's actually kind of incredible. Oh, wow.
0: Very cool. Right. Okay, then uh, the credits continue, and... Uh, we 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 get some other things with the costume designer. Her name is uh, Marilyn Vance Straker. You know, she has uh, 67 uh, credits on IMDb as a costume designer, six in the costume department, and 14 at a, as a producer. So again, you know, moving, moving up in the world. Mm-hmm. Then the, the next credit is something that really jumped out at me. It's the casting. The casting director here is named Jackie Birch. And I mean, she has 45 credits as a casting department. 74 as a casting director. And she is actually the sister of the director, Rob Cohen. Cohen. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then the, the credits continue. And this is, this was an interesting one because it, it actually, it, you have James Herbert and he's listed here as both the production manager and the line producer. You know, it's, it's rare that you see at this point, you know, someone with a dual, uh, uh you know, dual occupation, at this point, if it's an, unless it's a written writer and director or or writer and producer or things like that, you know, mm-hmm. and and I looked it up and it was, it was very interesting what a line producer is. It's basically the top producer who's uh, working on the, you know, the, the, the movie at the time. And they are the the reason they're called a line producer is because, you know, the whole thing of above the line and below the line. And they're the person who is. Right on that line of uh, you know of where where they would stand hmm. you know above above the line and and below the line so you know they're 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 responsible for human resources and handling any problems that come up during production and they they manage the scheduling and the budget and any of the day to day physical aspects of the film production so yeah they're they yeah, like the, someone who's gonna be very on ground, very very busy guy on set. yeah all right they're they're basically the the the, the COO on the on the set. That's more or less what, uh, what they do here. Mm-hmm. Um, then, uh, after that, you know, the, 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 credits continue. We, we have uh, the first assistant director, second assistant director. Uh, then we have the editors. Uh, one of the editors here is Stuart Baird. Are you familiar with the name at all?
1: Yeah. Stuart Baird is a, is a great editor with a ton of, a ton, a ton of credits. Um, and definitely stuff you've heard of, like he edited *Skyfall*, he edited *Casino Royale*, um, the recent *Tomb Raider* movie, I think, was his. Uh, what else? Did you know that he directed uh, um, three movies? Uh, he di- oh yeah, he directed a *Star Trek*. That's movie. right. He That's directed right. Uh, *Nemesis*. That's right. Yeah, he directed *Star Trek: Nemesis*, which is uh, which is not unfortunately not a great no, movie. No,
0: come um, on, it's an, it's 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 an even uh, no, sorry, it's an odd. It's wait. One second. Ten. Uh, no, Nemesis. Now I'm now I'm confused. Yeah. Nemesis it's, it's, uh, is uh, even. It shouldn't. It shouldn't have been good. <laughs> or sorry, it should have been good, and it wasn't. Yeah. That that's the one that broke the mold.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that that's the one that that's. Although it does have even a very, like a very young Tom Hardy. In yes. It. That it does. Yeah, it, it does have a it does have a very young Tom Hardy in it, but it really it doesn't. It's not a it's not a great movie. No. Just looking at his, his credits right now, and I will say that like I don't think that U.S. Marshals is a particularly great film either. Um, but I actually really I have a really a real soft spot for Executive Decision. Yes, so, those, are, those um, are the three movies
0: that he directed. He's one. Yeah. I liked, I like. Uh, I've always he's, said one for three. I've movies. always said I've, I've loved Executive Decision because spoiler alert, it's it's the the only movie that that uh, you know Steven Seagal gets killed in uh, like twenty minutes into the movie, and you get to like cheer. Because you don't. Oh yeah, he dies like a That's Because right, you don't expect him, and he actually dies like a hero, which uh, you
1: know, which I guess is also good. <laughs> yeah, and I remember that. I remember that being a big deal at the time. Like I remember the movie was really marketed like this: is, "This is a Kurt Russell and Steven Seagal movie, and they're going to save the day." And then he just dies immediately. It was an interesting, like fate and switch, at the time. Correct. Yeah. But yeah, Baird also, he also edited the original 78 Superman movie, which is a long time personal favorite of mine. So, and like, uh, I think at least one or two of the Lethal Weapons as well. So he's got a yeah. pretty deep, mm-hmm. pretty deep resume. For sure. He's uh, been around for a long time. Yeah. Um,
0: right. And then continuing through through the, the above the above the line credits here. So we have associate producer Sus- Suzanne Todd. Now, this one really jumped out at me because, like, I, I, I looked her up. And she has 37 producer credits, right? This was actually the first movie that she was a producer on. So then I was curious, okay, what about the movies that she was on before this? And then the, in in the, the film immediately preceding this one, she was Joel Silver's assistant in Lethal Weapon 2. Which to me is just really shocking that she would jump from being Joel Silver's uh, assistant to the next, you know, Silver movie. She's the associate producer. Uh, I don't know if
1: if movies about Hollywood have taught me anything that's exactly the way you get to be a producer.
0: <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not saying that it that that it doesn't you know that it doesn't happen. I'm just saying it doesn't make sense. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, then then after that and for the rest of this minute we have on the screen the you know the, the typical legalese that they put on here saying, the events, characters, and businesses depicted in this photo play are fictitious. Any similarity to actual persons, living or dead, or to actual events, businesses, or places is purely coincidental. This photo play is not sponsored or approved by any organization, place, or business referred to here herein. So basically, they're saying, we made all this up, you know, and if, if you think that we didn't, then you're wrong. <laughs> That's more or less what they're, they're trying to say and, uh, yep, yeah, pretty much. That's right. And that's pretty much how the, this minute ends. Uh, you know, further minutes, we're gonna, we're not gonna go into as much detail, but because all these people had their own, uh, you know, had their own space on the, you know, on, on the screen. So, you know, we had a little bit more to talk about today, but the, the rest of the week, we're, we're, we'll, we're gonna skip through most of them, you know, unless there's things that don't jump out at us, stuff like that um script there is nothing in that's connected to the script here because there is no dialogue the script is over the the movie is over basically and uh, you know for the for the rest of of all of these episodes we are not going to have any any uh connections to the script since the script is done so because uh (laughs) matthew didn't join us yesterday so we're gonna quickly do uh yesterday's segment first so we'll have uh mclean monday uh that's the segment where my guests will give their top five uh, Bruce Willis performances. So Matthew, why don't you start with your number five and work your way up.
1: Yeah, so <clears throat> I, I have a hard time putting these in any kind of order, but uh, I'm going to start with 12 Monkeys, uh, which of course is the, the science fiction Terry Gilliam film with the timey-wimey Bend to it, uh, and if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil it. If you haven't seen it, but by now you should have seen it. Um I think Willis is really, really good in this film. Um, I think he brings a real depth and nuance to the sort of craziness that his character demands. Um, and I don't know what I I'm. This movie's like at least 20 years old, and I don't want to spoil it for anyone. So I don't know what else to okay. say. You don't uh, to think too much you, detail. But if you haven't seen it, you should yeah. see it because it's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Number four. Uh, number four. I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna stick on a similar note here. Uh, and go with Looper, uh, which is the Ryan Johnson film. Uh, also very timey wimey, uh, and featuring Joseph Gordon-Levitt as a very young Bruce Willis, and Bruce Willis is an old Bruce Willis about a man who goes back in time to, um, who's an assassin. Uh, and there's a there's a time loop and he's gone back in time to kill a certain person. His younger self is fighting against him. Uh, and Willis plays a man who's driven by like rage and grief. And it would be very easy to make that one note. But Willis actually brings, again, a real sort of depth to that performance. And I've always really enjoyed it. Uh, it also features one of my favorite time travel conversations in any movie, which is when they start talking about time travel. He just says, I don't want to talk about time travel. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, and they just hand wave it away. It's it's kind of an incredible moment. All right, number three. Uh, number th- three. Ooh, let's see here. I'm gonna go with a more comedic performance, which is Lucky Number Slevin, which is a movie. It's actually really it's a Josh Hartnett movie, and Willis is in a supporting role as an assassin. Um, it's uh, a little more comedic a little more sinister but a lot actually a lot more comedic. Um the film itself again is a real showcase for Josh Hartnett and a few other people, but every moment that Bruce Willis is on screen he's just electric and you can't take your eyes off of him. And uh his his the best one of the best scenes in the movie is the first scene in the movie where Bruce Willis's character tells uh, an extended joke. Uh, that ends with a very specific punchline. And it's actually, I think, one of my favorite opening scenes. Of You know, I, I can remember a lot of opening scenes, but it's definitely up there in terms of, like, uh, favorite opening scenes. Okay. Number two? So this is where it gets a little complicated, because I hold my number one and number two in fairly equal esteem. Um, but I'm going to say... And this might be controversial on your show. I'm not really not sure, at all. but I'm going to say that Die Hard is my number two. Okay, you're, I, I, I knew that uh, that was what you, where you were going, but uh, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs>
0: there, are, there are people who don't even have Die Hard yeah, on their I mean, list. So, so you're okay.
1: That's fair enough. I would, I would say, I would say that Die Hard as a franchise, at least the first three, uh, would be collectively my number two, but in the first one in particular. Uh, Partly because he's great in it, and partly because it was such a mold-breaking action film at the time. It was, you know, If you go back, the sort of vulnerable hero who gets his ass kicked throughout the movie, that was one of the very first examples of Correct. that, especially within the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just brings such emotion to the whole role in a way that we hadn't really seen, especially again, especially in the 80s, which was the the decade of... You know, sweaty, strong men with no emotions. <laughs> and here's a here's a movie about a guy who basically can't not emote throughout the whole movie. And uh, there's there's a reason that it's a classic. There's a reason why it's the film that made him a huge star. That's right. And uh, it's that's the reason why it's number my number two. Okay. And number one. Uh, and your number one that is tied uh, with your number two. So uh, <laughs> my number one that is tied with the number two is uh, M Night Shyamalan's The Sixth Sense, uh, in which Again, it's another deeply emotional, deeply nuanced performance that relies on a pretty big twist at the end that recontextualizes his entire character arc uh and only makes it deeper as far as I'm concerned. And I I really appreciate It's hard to, I find it hard to put into words how good I think he is in this movie even though you know, people's reaction to M Night is varied, um but I think this is the one that we all agree is great, yep. right? And uh, I think the part of the reason it's great, like we all remember Haley Joel Osment, we all uh, remember I See Dead People, but I think the reason the movie really works is how good, how open and empathetic Bruce Willis's character and performance are in the film, mm-hmm. um, and how he creates he creates the space for Haley Joel Osment to be as good as he is at such a young age. I can only imagine what a what an amazing scene partner he must have been for such a young performer in that film. And uh, I I think that's by far his best performance just on the screen and also just imagining how it must have gone down on set as well. I think it's easily his best performance. Okay, very cool. But still tied with... Okay, that's fair. That's completely fair. All right.
0: And because today is Tuesday, we will do uh, the Tuesday segment. Tuesday segment is Disaster Tuesday, where basically what I do is, is because this movie features predominantly two airplane crashes. So I try to find some interesting tidbits about people that we've heard of that unfortunately, uh, you know, passed away due to uh, plane crashes. And I try and find something that is somehow connected to my guest, you know, whether it's geographically or whether it's based on their, their uh uh, you know, favorite films or things like that. So today, I actually chose uh, James Horner because uh, I mean, I I know that uh, Matthew, I know you're you're a big Star Trek fan, and you know James Horner. Star yeah. Trek Two would not be the same without James Horner. There's no question about that. So it's, uh, it's actually one of one of my favorite called the the Battle of the Metari Metari Nebula. Uh, it's like a 14-minute suite that I can yep. that I can listen to over and over. It just, to me, it's just one of the best uh, suites, modern suites that's composed that is like, you know, I, I love John Williams stuff also, and I'm not trying to say which is better because I can listen to most of John Williams stuff the, the same way, all the Star Wars stuff. But uh, listening to that for me, is, I mean, James Horner also did Apollo 13. I can also sit and listen to that one. Uh, you know, for for hours upon hours, the the music from there, uh, and obviously uh, when you're talking about Titanic, same thing. So, uh, do you know anything about what happened to James Horner? Do you know how? Uh, obviously, it's it's uh, aviation related, but do you know anything, any of the backstory behind what happened to him?
1: Yeah, he was flying. I um, think he owned a small turbo prop. Mm-hmm. And he crashed in a forest in California, yeah. I think near where he lived, I want to say. I'm not sure about yeah. that part, but um, he apparently was, I think he was flying too low, uh, doing some maneuvers or something and flying too low and just was unable to maintain altitude and crashed. Uh, I think is the story, but I'm sure you know more about it. Than right. I, do. So, I remember being very sad when it yes. happened. It was only a few, like seven, eight years ago. It right? was t- uh, 2015. Yeah, it was, So it's, uh, it was eight, eight years ago that it happened yes he was he was flying in yeah. a turboprop It's so honestly um it's, it's it's i was gonna say it's, it's an interesting one because you don't it's one that like i don't normally i wouldn't normally expect anyone to remember the date that a film composer died but he died on my birthday in the year that he june 22nd died. so it's june. kind of stuck in my brain
0: okay, that, that that is fair. yeah that that's fair for you to remember that <laughs> So yes, he, he, (laughs) he died on June 22nd, 2015. He was flying in a uh, turboprop aircraft that was his own. Uh, he crashed into the Las Padres uh, national forest, which is near, uh, venticopa, California. He was, uh, flying solo. He had just, uh, stopped to refuel in, uh, Camarillo airport and basically the 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 cause of the accident, uh, according to the NDSB report, was that, uh, you know, he was unable to maintain clearance from terrain during low-level air work. He had basically been in contact with uh, the Southern California Air Route Traffic Control Center, and, uh, you know, he was getting information from them. And basically, people were the, there were two witnesses to to what happened, and they said that the plane was flying really low. It was flying between 575 feet, um, and the FAA radar showed that the, the the plane had made multiple low altitude turns, and uh, you know was making a lot of uh, maneuvers, and it was flying low through a uh, through a, a canyon that was nearby there, and they were he was skimming the mountain ridgelines by less than a hundred feet um basically what they the, what they is, found out though was is that he had been on prescription medication for pain relief and headaches and the toxicology report uh, said that he had uh, uh butalbital codeine and ethanol in his system at the time so it was uh you know ruled as as, as an accident uh i guess you can sort of say uh you know it was a uh, pilot error for what happened he was uh, flying too low and just ended up hitting the
1: yeah. trees. Very sad. Yeah, it's a sad one. And uh, can't imagine what his family must have gone through, must still be going through, to be totally That's honest. True. Uh, That's true. But uh, it's always a tough one when someone who's in, I mean, who's on pain medication for whatever he was on pain medication for, but it's, all, it's also still pretty young and pretty yes. sudden, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, uh, it's a tough one. That's correct.
0: All right, so Matthew, you want to tell people uh, where they can find uh, Matthew Simpson?
1: Yeah, the uh, The easiest way to find me these days with the ongoing heat death of social media is to just go to my main website, which is stretched.ca. Uh, there you can find links to all of my recent work, including podcast episodes and reviews and, and festival coverage and so on. Um, but if you want to go directly, the Awesome Friday podcast is awesomefriday.ca. And uh, I also write for Exclaim and That Shelf and For Real um, and a few others as well. But again, you can find all those links on stretched.ca. And if you want to go looking for me on social media, I am uh, at AF on most of them or at smathu on Blue Sky. All right. And finding me is very simple. Just do
0: a quick search for Move Around Minute. You can find me on Facebook, you can find me on Twitter, or you can find me on my website, minute.com So, until tomorrow, yippee ki
1: yippee
0: If you're fond of
1: sand dunes
0: and salty air, quaint little villages here and